Good morning and happy Sabbath. Welcome to church. And today's special for me because Lucas is here today after a long time and my wife is back in church for a while, after a long while. It is good that it means that we are getting a little bit of back to, to what things were. But then also at the same time, we're looking forward to what God has prepared for us in the future. So to, make, to reiterate some of the announcements that some of you may have missed because you tune in a little later, I'm going to go through the announcements. Right, first of all, let me get to the slide for you. First of all, we are going to meet as a church board, uh, as approved by the church business, business meeting, to select the leaders for the next term. Right, starting from 2021 and going forth to 2022. So I pray that the church will continue to pray for the team, uh, the church board, as we pray and ask God who He wants to lead His church and to select the right people to bring the church to the next new normal that He's uh, asked the church to become. Also, uh, we're moving forward to, with the multi-site uh, initiative because God is showing us that we can't just stay in 798. We have to move beyond this building because this capacity is going to remain the same for a little while, but the work of God cannot stop. And so we need volunteers. We need two volunteers per site to coordinate, to manage, and commit to it for at least one year. So in a way, you are like a, a church planter. You're like a missionary sent out to a very faraway place, Bunking, and a very faraway place, Topongo. Quite far, eh? the other way, <laughs> all the way in the east side, and also maybe to Clark Key, downtown, scary place. But we need missionaries who are willing to run these sites to, to manage the work there. And I'll tell you a little bit more why we're going down this route in my sermon today. Next, we are starting the Bible study training in March. So that's the week after. And we're going to find a suitable time and date. And it's going to be online. It's going to be done online. You don't have to physically come to church, so it'll be more accessible. And the training, we'll try our best to make it available for afterwards. But it's always best to participate in a workshop training like this in person live, right? In a, although not in person, but via Zoom live. You can ask questions and we can deal with some of those things there. Uh, we'll send out the email with the registration link. Uh, and also, we're going to send it out through WhatsApp. So if you're not connected to the church via either of these two uh, possibilities or these two communication portal, please message me or ask around and we'll get you connected um, to our email broadcast and our WhatsApp broadcast so that you will receive this registration uh, sign-up um, link, all right? We'll be sending it out Tuesday, Tuesday. Uh, Sarah will send it out Tuesday to all of you. So reply to that, register. You'll see how you'll be explaining the email, so don't worry. All right, the, the six of the seven dreams that I've been sharing with ASDAC, all right? My, my dream of what the church will look like I think from what God is showing me from the scripture, the topic for today is dreaming of context. Dreaming of context. What is your context of understanding something is what happens around it. As with the Bible, when you read the Bible, the context is to understand the Bible, are the verses around it. That's why we don't jump from one verse here and there in order to understand what the Bible says. You know, uh, it's easy to misunderstand if you don't read certain things in context. Even like a letter. It's been like a letter. You have to read the entire letter in order to understand the true message behind the letter. If you just read one line of the letter, you may misunderstand the meaning. For example, if you receive a letter from your, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend who is far away, which some of my friends have been telling me, that's what they're going through long-distance relationship. They haven't seen each other for a year. Imagine receiving an email from your, 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 your partner and says, I hate you. 
oh no, and if that's all you read, then that's it. You know, she's going to break up with me. He's going to break up with me. I hate you for loving me so much. That changes things. That changes things. The context of just the very next sentence will change the context of what the content is. And so I'm going to break up with you. And you, oh dear, that's the end. Over my dead body. That changes the context, right? Contexts are important. Another thing is our physical context. Our physical context. I, I don't know whether you notice. Uh, this is Orchard Road, right? This is Orchard Tanks, you know, the, the corner of Orchard Road and Scotts Road and Ion, and then this whole stretch down. Um, that used to be the place to go shopping. If you, li- if you live in Singapore, you, if you have friends visiting, you bring them to Orchard Road. It says, let me bring you to Orchard Road. If you want to buy stuff, let's go to Orchard Road. That's where you can find everything. And that's the only place some shops are. And you, let's go there. And, but if you go to Orchard Road just in the past year or just recently, you would notice it's very different. A lot of shops are, are not open or there's a lot of, not a lot of crowds. If you go in the daytime, of course, nighttime, there's still quite a few of people, but very different compared to how it used to be. Because the fact is, nowadays, you can just walk across the road. For example, if you live in Jurong, there's three shopping malls just connected to each other. You get Jam, Westgate, and J-Cube, and you can find everything you want to find in Orchard Road in these three buildings. In fact, you may even find more things in these three buildings than in Orchard Road because sometimes Orchard Road don't have that type of stores. Like you won't be able to find an NTUC fair price in Orchard Road. Maybe after hearing today, they open up one there, I don't know. But, um, but you will find one in this three shopping mall. So the, 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 the situation, even in this very small country like Singapore, you can see it happening where you don't congregate in a single location and all these Shopping and daily necessities being spread out throughout different places. Although traveling from anywhere, if it's the f- I used to live in Sengkang, and all it takes was a whole 30 minutes to get to Orchard Road. That's it. I get on the purple line, I'm there. But yet people think that that is really far, that they don't want that anymore. They want a convenience to go down to 10 minutes, and maybe next time five minutes. I, I know the new... A uh, new town that's being brought out in Tengah and in Bidadari where the, the, all the malls are just like in the middle and you just walk across and you're in the mall. Or some of them are living on top of the mall. In fact, if you look across the street from SDEC, that's what's happening. You know, one of the biggest things that's missing in, uh, in Topayo is uh, there's no shopping mall. And in fact, two of them is going to come right up across from SDEC where the Kadokra MRT is. It's crazy stuff. And traditionally, as a church, when we think about mission, and ministry and mission trip, we think about this. Flying somewhere, going somewhere far, and, and reaching to a group of people who have never heard about Jesus, trying to learn their customs and culture and understand how to communicate. I have a friend who actually have to create, I told you before, where he has to create the written language for that specific tribe he was with because they have no written language. It was all oral. And he became the person who gave them words. And that was always the thing, you know, we'll talk about raising funds for our overseas missionaries and everybody wanted to be like a Paul. You know, they really talk about mission trips, that like Paul traveled around minor Asia, sharing the gospel as far as some claim that he was the one who brought it to Spain and even to India, although history refutes that, it's probably Philip who brought it over there, but, but people want to be like Paul. But do you know there's only one Paul? In fact, Paul's strategy is never to have a whole group of people follow him around minor Asia. No, 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 no. He'll bring a few people. He'll bring Luke. 
He'll bring Titus, he'll bring Timothy, and then they go plant a church, and he'll say, Timothy, you're staying here in Ephesians. You're staying here, Ephesus. Stay here. I'm planting a church here. You stay here. You, you pastor, you become the local representation of God's presence here. And he, go to, he brings Titus to another place. He starts a new church, and he says, Titus, you stay there. He doesn't bring all, all people and, and go around the whole minor Asia spreading the gospel and then they, they go back to Jerusalem. That's not the plan. In fact, I think who we should model the church after should be our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll let, take a look. We'll do a, a, a survey, a macro view of Jesus' ministry across three gospels today. Today, I believe the mission trip is to the local hawker center. The mission trip no longer requires, and in fact, you cannot fly overseas for a mission trip just yet, not in the near future. In fact, the mission trip could be to the local playground. Local playground. It could be to upstairs. Do you know you may know more about Bambangan for Aztec people. You may have lived in uh, Bambangan for a little while to, to do some work over there. I love Esther's and Rolf's work. And I'm not saying that mission tr- overseas mission trips are, are not good or is wrong. Because if not for overseas missionaries, there'd be no Adventist presence in Singapore. There wouldn't be SAUC. There wouldn't be Yangba Hospital. There wouldn't be Aztec today. But then times have changed where right now, they didn't have internet, they didn't have WhatsApp, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Zoom. And so the necessity of flying 20 hours overseas in order to bring God's presence there no longer becomes a necessity. Even now, in fact, I, I get to speak in more countries for the past year than I've ever before in one single year. Because usually I just come into one single overseas uh, trip. To, to speak, but now people are like, hey James, can you speak for Indonesia on a Saturday afternoon? And James, can you speak for KL tomorrow? I can do all that in, in the same day. But I believe the mission trip now is to somewhere that is within walking distance. Do you know that if you have to commute for more than 30 minutes, you are going to a church that is of a different location and you're considered a commuter to church? It's crazy that in Singapore, in such a small place, that is still happening on a daily basis. In the United States, you have no choice. I remember Daniel's sister, Esther, was moving to the States to study and she asked me to look for a local Adventist church. (laughs) The nearest was like two hours away. And that's the only option she had. And also she had to go live, stay with somebody over on Friday nights and then, you know, then go over... Uh, the next day. She had no choice because the United States is bigger. And uh, sometimes to have a church within 30 minutes, that's wow, so close, so amazing. But that's the United States, right? It takes you five days to drive from New York to Los Angeles if you drive nonstop. And you occasionally break the speed limit and you don't stop food. But in Singapore, to drive, I can drive across Singapore. 10 times in one day if I want to, if I drive 10 hours nonstop. <laughs> so, so in Singapore, it doesn't make sense that commuting is still what we're doing in order to come to church. And I'm going to tell you a little bit why. That's why we're going to move towards the multi-site thing. 
You know, in Singapore, it's really strange. Um, this is taken from the block next to my block, um, along Lorong 8 and Brattle Road. Uh, across the road is Bishan, right? Just cross the overhead bridge, and that is Bishan. And then my side is Brattle. And we used to belong to two different, uh, one is a GRC, and we belong to an SMC. They were Bishan Topayo in the Putong Pase. And, and then recently, we got adopted. We got finally reintegrated back to the Bishan Topayo. Because we are Topayo, Lorong 8. Finally, you got to join back to GRC. But if you walk, we, Lucas and I and Tiffany, we will oftentimes go for a walk after dinner. And uh, we've gone to everywhere in Topayo, so we're like, let's cross the bridge. And because recently, there would be a new park connector that connects the Topayo link all the way to, to Bishan, and we went and explored the other side. And the moment we crossed the bridge, we realized it's so different. Singapore, we cross one overhead bridge and suddenly on Bishan, you get young families, you get like 10 playgrounds within like 100 meters. Whereas from our side, we, we live in um, uh, elder care. <laughs> Everyone around us are like, are like my grandpa's age. You know, my block, when I move into it, they're like, oh, a young man moved in. Every uncle, auntie says, hey, you live on level five, right? I'm like, how do you know, auntie? You're the only young person in the block. Everybody else here have lived for 30 years. Oh, okay, I guess that's how I'm there. And then before I moved in, the playground was so old, it was crazy. But thankfully, they, they redid the playground. You go to the hawker center, you know, even Chinese New Year, first day, uh, the, all the shops were closed. I saw like 20 uncles sitting there chatting. And you realize that that's what they've been doing for the past 20 years. They cannot not meet, even though there's nothing to drink. No kopi, no tea, no problem. We got chairs. They brought their own drinks. I saw little like flask on, on top of the tables. But you go across to Bishan, it's like young people playing soccer, and then there's like playground. There's like non-stop fitness corners. Like you can just work out every five steps. Because young people want to work out and exercise. Whereas in Topayo, it's all like the, you know, the mobility, old people, exercise machine, move your hands, which is awesome. But it's so different, and it's just across the road. The missionary trip today may be just across the bridge, or simply across the block. It's crazy that some of us know Bamangan better than level 12 of our block. Yeah? Some of us know more about some places in, in Botswana better than Lorong 7 of Topayo, even though I live in Lorong 8. That today we found almost a sudden pride that I get to say that I've gone on a mission trip overseas, shared gospel to a group of people who doesn't know Jesus, but don't realize that the people we come into, we brush our, our arms across every day, don't even know Jesus. We have not done anything for them, even though they are within our reach every day single day. And as that, we've been here for 22 years. We moved here in 1999. Do we know the people around us? Do the people around us love us or do they hate us? I told you this story. When we first put out the sign in front of the Red Cross, the big lighted up Red Cross on the roof and the big sign in front of the church, I was standing out of the church uh, that was maybe six years ago, uh, six years ago, and I was standing on the gate one time, and uh, a few young people who live in Thompson 800 next door walked by and like, oh, there's a church here? 
And I talk to them like, oh, how long have you lived here? I say, we grew up here. How, how are you? 17 years old. Oh. You never knew there's a church here? No. Okay. Where do you go to church? Oh, we go to church to take the bus and uh, to a place 20 minutes away. Never knew there's a church next door. The local presence and influence of the church have been diminished because we have not noticed that's what God has called us to do. So I'm going to do a little macro survey of Jesus' ministry and see if there's anything we can learn from his work and who he focuses on. It's always in our mind that Jesus traveled a lot. You know, you read about the four gospel, and all in your mind is Jesus is always walking. And he's always walking. He's walking. All on a boat. And then he walked again. And then he's on a boat. And he's walking again. He's on a boat. He's walking again. He's always walking. So it seems as though he's always on a trip, on a mission trip, going to really some faraway places. But if you let's track, let's track from the scripture where he went. Turn me to John chapter 4, verse 28 to 29. He was walking, going down to Jerusalem. It was one of the very rare trips that he went. But he says something in this journey as he met somebody, a Samaritan woman. There's a little exchange, uh, and which we'll, we'll not dwell upon today because I'm doing a macro survey. I've talked about this before. He's not supposed to talk to a woman. He's not supposed to talk to a Samaritan. In fact, he took a detour. If you look at the journey he took, he didn't go straight to Jerusalem. He detoured in order to meet this woman, and they ran out of food. And after the conversation with the woman, uh, chapter 4, verse 28 and 29, after he showed her that he is indeed the Messiah, verse 28, John chapter 4, so the woman left a water jar and went away into town. So they're really, really near the town. The, the well is always right outside the, the town. And said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? Could it be? And so the first encounter Jesus has with a, a person who needs to hear about the gospel, who needs to meet the Messiah, the first thing she did was she went back into her own town. Right? So note that in her first experience with Jesus, Jesus didn't say, now you should follow me and go spread the gospel to somewhere really far away. She, no, no, no. The first choice that a woman made after meeting the Messiah, she went back into her own town and told the people, could this be the Messiah? I'm not sure yet, but I think he is, but could he be the one that we're waiting for? Let's go on, verse 39, chapter 4, and then the people came and, and, and the, the result is after she went back into the town that she lived in, after encountering Jesus in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me that I, all that I ever did. And if you read on, they asked and met Jesus themselves and they believed him even more after that. So it's powerful to note that the first non-Jew, by the way, consistently you will see that the non-Jews are people who are, who are willing to go back to their own town. The Jews are a bit more reluctant because they, they're afraid they'll be ostracized and rejected by their own people. But those who encounter Jesus for the first time, ends up going back. And that is a, a comment, because according to the scripture, the Jews, the spiritual Jews, are more likely those of us who are represented by the Bible as those who grew up in the church. Those who grew up in the church refuse to go back to their own people, but those who are new converts who are more willing to go back to their own people. And so she went back and many, note that, she didn't go to somewhere far away, she went back to her own 
town. In Singapore, our, our, we, are, we don't call it suburbs. We call it towns. Interesting. We just want to make ourselves look bigger than we are in Singapore. But eh, it's not, not too bad. To the town of Topayo, to the town of Ishun, to the town of Sengkang, to the town of Pongo, to the town of Amokyo, to the town of Commonwealth, to the town of Jurong. Do they know you know Jesus? Do they know that you know Jesus? She went back to her own town. And because she went back and told the people about not very complicated. She didn't do a Bible study. She didn't do a huge like, evangelistic series. She told them what she experienced. And she asked, could he be the Messiah? Then they came to experience the Messiah themselves and they accepted him. See, that's one thing I think that prevents us from going back to our own town is that we feel it's our responsibility to convert people. It is not. Our job is to communicate. It is God's job to convict and convert. Don't try to be God. Because the more you think about it, you try to be, you, you freak yourself out because you are not God and you get scared. And so you stop, you don't do it because you're afraid, because you can't do what God is supposed to do. You say, Pastor James, I tried to share the gospel with my family and they rejected him. I said, that's okay. You shared. That's all you need to do. The Holy Spirit will convert them. The Holy Spirit will convict them. Don't try to be God. Pastor James, I, I, would not, I don't want to, to, to give Bible studies because I don't know how to explain the Bible. Well, you've read the Bible, haven't you? you? You're actually telling me because I can't use the logic of explaining the Bible to convince people to believe in Jesus. That's not your job. You're supposed to show them what the Bible says. Whether they believe it or not, their job. And you're really starting your Bible study training now. That's why we're afraid, because we think it's dependent on our gap, how well we can speak, how, how much we know our knowledge. It's not dependent on you, thank God. It's dependent on God. Our job is to communicate. Communicate. To put the word out. Did the whole town believe in Jesus? No, they didn't. But many did. They were not, we're not tasked to convert the whole town we live in. But there are people there. There are people there waiting to know Jesus and God placed you in that specific place for a reason. I don't think you accidentally moved there. God placed you there. Let's start small. Let's not even talk about the town. For those of us who live in condos or HDBs, you know that within one block, in single one block, there's more people we can reach in a single day than some of my pastor's friends in the United States can reach in a week because they have to drive. To reach the same number of people, you take them like six hours of driving to reach every household that covers the same number that we have in one block. Which level do you live on? Don't have, don't have to tell me. I live on level five. But do the rest of the level five knows about that I'm a pastor? Not yet. I'm trying hard, but you know, at least for my section, lift A, most of them do by now. But the lift B and lift C, nah, they don't know me. Still got lots of work to do. I don't even have to go far. I can just wake up. And then, Today, unit, unit 552. 
5.5.3, 5 5.5.4. I've got my work cut out for the rest of the year. And that's why you need all of us. There's a lot of HDB blocks. Just released, recently the government just released 1,170 1, blocks. Oh, sorry, units. Sorry, my apologies. Units. Can you reach those? Can I reach those by myself? No, I can't. But somebody's going to move into those blocks. Now it's easier. Now they kind of like reduce the number of people on single floor. Last time I used to live in a block where it's like 15 of us in a row. I was the corner flat and then it's like 15. So I know everybody just because I'll open the window and every time I, you know, I get home from school, I nothing to do. People walk by and say, hi, hi auntie, hi uncle. And then they're like, hi. So I know everybody's occupation. I know the the Zha auntie will live in the second last block. That's my favorite auntie. Because I always go to a shop. And then the moment I go, I get free food. But I know the Malay auntie. And then during the puasa, I will always walk by her house. Even though the lift is here, I'll take the lift on the other side. I walk by and then I, Machik, smells so good lah. She say, come here, sayang, come. I am going. Every morning. <laughs> but now it's different. Now it's like four. And then the new blocks are just four units per floor. And you're one. So there are three others. If you live in those blocks, do you know them? Maybe for those, some of them are six. My parents' place are six. So there's three on one side, three on the others. Do you know them? God put you there for a reason. Not by accident. Don't go trying to reach somebody far away. Reach a block. Be that guy who everybody knows. Ah, this guy, he's Christian. They may not hate you, but they may not like you, but like, they know you're Christian. You never know one day someone's going to come here and say, hey, hey, can, can, you, can you pray, pray for me? Because you're the only person I can think of. I know some of us have this experience where all of a sudden you think you don't know that person very well and then they come to you and say, can you, can you pray for me, bring me to church? You never know. But you're put there as a missionary to your block, to your town. Especially this year, I think it's very important. Let's go on and look at the next story. Mark chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. Again, it's a story that I always talk about. It is that demonic who was possessed, was possessed by legions. Legions. And, and only Jesus can change his life because his life is so messed up. You go and try and cast out a legion of demons, I tell you. Casting out one will be scary enough. So this is God's work. God's work. God moved in this person's life. And he was converted. He was brought back to sanity. He was brought back to logic. He's well-dressed. He's no longer naked. He's not shameful. Sounds like a story that we hear in chapter 3 of Genesis. That God is in the work of restoring honor and respect to humanity because we're naked and we're ashamed of our action. And he, this guy was naked, living in the tombs, cutting himself, screaming, and people were like scared of him, he's crazy, tied out in chains. God comes and heals him, restore him back to humanity. Isn't that the story? That the gospel is not about something more than human. This, the gospel ultimately is about becoming, re, regaining who we are as human, to become human again. 
And the fact is, anybody who has not accepted Jesus and not lived life according to what he asked us to do are not living fully as a human being. And God says, I've not designed for you to live like that. I'm going to restore you by the power of the gospel back to being fully human. That's who you're supposed to be. So this man encounters Jesus and tells Jesus, so he said it. Jesus, let me follow you because these people don't like me very much. And I probably have like broken their doors and their windows and their gates or I've accidentally hurt them while I was crazy. So you better take me away. I have no face to see them. Shame. I don't know what to tell them. They won't believe me. I'm the crazy guy. There's nothing I can do in my town. Verse 19, chapter 5 of Mark. And Jesus, note this is Jesus, did not permit him. Jesus might follow you? No. What? Shouldn't Jesus say, yes, come follow me, disciple. You have a good story to tell. Every time I have an evangelistic series, you'll be the first one to share a testimony. Jesus did not permit an individual that he has healed to follow him. Why? Because he knows he doesn't need to anymore. He's received the ultimate gift of grace. And Jesus said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. Do you note that little word there? Go home to your friends. He's been crazy for a long time. He's been demon-possessed for a long time. He has friends? Even for such a messed up guy who lives naked in the tombs, who scream and shout at night, disturbing the peace of the whole town, who probably killed some animals and ate it without the permission of the owner, probably broke some windows, probably, probably hurt some people because that's why they have to tie him up with chains. Even somebody as messed up as this, has friends. So don't think you're not good enough. Don't think that you're not worthy to share the gospel. Don't think that nobody is going to listen to you. You have friends. You have people who need to hear and who are still willing to listen to you. In fact, they'll be so amazed by your transformation. They've known who you are and they see who you are now. Isn't that the scariest? We have to share the gospel with people who knows you very well. For me, it's my secondary school friends because James during secondary school was really messed up. Lots of disciplinary action against me. Like, 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 if you go back to my secondary school, you ask people about James. Not now, I think. Nobody remembers who I am. Gladly, I hope not. I hope the principal doesn't. Once upon a time, there was a James Thumb who studied in Ahmad Ibrahim. We do not want to be like him. Let me show his photo. I hope not. I was infamous. I was not famous. I was infamous. I was bad. I was uh, leading people doing bad things. And, and so when I met up with my friends after I, I really accepted Jesus into my life, they were the hardest. I didn't even dare to say anything. I just had to say, I don't say grace. And they're like, <laughs> James, you praying? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually grew up in a Christian family. You grew up in a Christian family? Are you serious? Yeah, but then my dad's a pastor. What? Are you free this Saturday? No, I'm going to church. James is going to church. <laughs> so hard. But even that, James has friends. 
<laughs> so I came back second time. I came back three times. So I came back first time uh, from Australia, went to the U.S., came back from the U.S., and then I came back, and then they're like, what are you up to now, James? <laughs> like, you guys don't believe it. I'm like, what? I'm a pastor. My friends almost fainted. But yet, I get calls. Yet, I get calls for my past eight years back in Singapore when they, they have nowhere to go. Hey, James, I don't know who to call, man. And you came to mind. Can, you, can, can I meet up with you for a little while? And James, I know, you know the guys, we don't share feelings. James, can you come? And then when I got there, he started crying. I've never seen my friend cry in 20 over years of my life. And then he calls me and cry, and we're like 38 years old. We don't have to convict. We don't have to convert. We just need to communicate to the people who are around us, who actually see us. And they may laugh at you, but God will work in a way because... There will be times where they have no one to turn to, they, they, they'll think of you. Not because of who you are, but because they, of who you believe in. Go back to your people. Tell them. And so this demon-possessed man who went back to his few friends, I don't know how many, maybe one, maybe two, is a plural, so I guess at least two friends, who probably fed him and kept him alive for those many years that he was demon-possessed. Because of his work, let's go to chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, this Jesus, made his disciple get into the boat and go before him and the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. If you do not know, the demon-possessed man, the Decapolis, was actually just across from Galilee. Not very far. It's like Topayo to Bishan. And again, Jesus went there after what happened earlier on. And he went there and, and, and he dismissed the crowd. So, so, by the way, when he went, there was a crowd already there. And verse 53, we go further down. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore, parked the boat. And when they got off the boat, the people immediately recognized them. They didn't have Facebook, by the way. No Instagram. They don't even have photos. They instantly, immediately recognize Jesus. Somebody must have told them about Jesus. And then they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. You never know your impact, man. One demonic, one demonic who had maybe two friends went back. And the next time, so Bethsaida is part of the capitalists. The next time Jesus went back to the same region, everybody immediately recognized Jesus. You may not be the person that will tell 10,000, but you may be the person that tells that one person who becomes that person who tells 10,000. You never know how God will use your one mediocre in your mind work to reach the masses. In fact, from guesstimates, there's the, the 4,000 that Jesus fed in Decapolis was probably these people. So at the very least, one demonic 
demon-possessed men who at the most probably, I don't know, tell, told two people, brought how many? 4,000 to Jesus. And this counting the men. You never know what God can do in your local context that God has placed you in. But let me give you a promise to end. A promise from the Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. This is before he healed anybody. This is before he met a Samaritan woman. This is before he fed the 5,000 and 4,000. This is Jesus in the beginning. In chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 23 to 25, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, his hometown, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, not Israel, Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. Before he even went there and healed the demon-possessed man, his reputation precedes him. And then we hear about from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan, exact same words that he gave to his disciples in Acts. So even though the demonic may have done a lot of work. The promise from the Bible, the promise from the Bible is still back to this. Before you even go, Jesus has already went. Jesus has already gone. Before you. His fame and reputation spread, but they did not recognize him immediately. They did not know who he was. He's been healing. People hear about this, this rabbi who's healing the sick. They do not know who he is. And so when Jesus healed a demonic man, the demonic man met Jesus personally. The Samaritan woman met Jesus personally. They went and tell people, the person you are looking for is Jesus. So you're not asked to go to a place and start the work from scratch. God has already worked in your local context, in the town you live in, in the block you live in, in the place you work at, in the school you attend, God has already preceded you, gone before you, and has worked in the people around there, and they're just looking for answers, and they need somebody to come, and they can, they can ask those questions. Who is He? And they can only ask somebody who has met Jesus. Because they have this Thing. Romans 1, chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 tells us that before anything has been done, God has already gone. And so you need to go there and say, point them and say, you know who you're you are looking for? That's Jesus. So people can recognize and come to Him in person. So I'm going to leave you with four things that we can do in our local context that nobody else can do for you. First thing. You can only be useful in your local context. What do I mean by that? What I mean by useful is that when you come to church once a week for five hours, especially now, we can't even stay around here. It's not useful because people can't see you the rest of the week. 
And honestly, right now, at this moment, we don't have a lot of neighbors yet. We do. They're coming. But your neighbor sees you every single day, and you can be useful to them. One of the biggest church in the world, I think is the biggest church in the world, is found in South Korea, and they start their church by going to each condominium. This is a bit structured different. They don't have really HTB. And two by two, they go there, and all they did for the whole year was carry groceries. They'll be at the lift. Anybody comes by, hey, can I help you carry your groceries up to your block? At first, people were like, I don't know what's the Korean word for that, but xiao. You know, like, I wouldn't, wouldn't give my groceries. But after seeing them there every single day of the week, offering to carry, they'll come this old lady who really actually wanted somebody to help her carry the groceries, and, well, I'll take a chance, right? And then, and then pass them the grocery, and they happily brought it up to her, her home. Good day, see you, Ajuma, I'll come back later. And then they left. And then tomorrow she comes back with grocery, and they're there again, and then pass it to them, and they brought it up to the floor for her. Every single day, the two will be, that's all they did for one year. And after a little while, they says, hey, Kyle, we're going to start a little meeting in our house, we live on level five. We're actually part of this block. The, you, think, you think the old, old, old lady will come? Yeah. They'll be having me carry groceries for 365 days a week. Already, I know them. I'm not scared. They're nice. In fact, I'm pro- she probably started telling all her friends, hey, you know what? Hey, you, you groceries? You want to help you carry groceries? I know somebody. And soon everybody will come, and then these two persons will probably have to pull in. And according to the, the, the book uh, that I read about their history, that's what they did. They would get more people to help because there's too many people needing them to carry groceries. And soon the first church they start after one year had how many in the first meeting? Do you know? Fifty. What did they do? Did they have evangelistic series? No. Did they have like Bible study session? No. They, all they did was carry groceries. And today, I think the whole church with different sites are about 250,000 people, I think. Local. Be useful. Do your neighbors find you useful? Or do your neighbors find you irritating? Unique. Only you would know what your neighborhood needs because you live there. Like as I said, explain, across the bridge, Bishan, my side, Topayo, different needs. If I have a like lose weight program in Topayo, Uncle B, you need to lose weight lah. I don't need. I want to go eat chendo. But if I do it in Bishan, whoa, I may get a sign up. Actually, it's very easy for me. Yeah? I like to go and I like to look at the RC programs. Huh? They have those RCs in all the different blocks. I look at what they run. My site, Topayo, before the COVID, karaoke. Mushroom farm visit. How to, how to stretch at home. Huh? I go over to Bishan. Whoa. Weight loss yoga. Huh? Then go like, uh, triathlon sign up. Uh, round the island bike trip. Different, huh? Very unique. If the RC thinks they need to do that, I think the church needs to do that too, huh? In fact, I don't even think we should invent our own program. I think we just hijack the program. Oh, it's on, on video. You may imagine if my RC organized a karaoke session. Usually, there's like 10 uncles and aunties sing. Suddenly, they see 10 more young people come and join them. Uncle, I sing a karaoke with you. Who are you? Oh, I'm from Estac Church. Uh. I like to sing also. 
Easy, right? I don't even have to pay for anything. I just go and sing. Only. Suddenly, all the auntie uncles, hey, you know these young people very weird, no? They can't sing, go and sing old classic with me. Yeah. And then next time they hear about church, oh, I know the church. Yeah, the young people always sing karaoke with me. Man. Hey, easy, right? Don't need to invent anything new. Maybe participate what the local place are doing. Be there, be the presence. Represent Jesus to the community. Oh, the last, the next one. Visible. Visible. If you only come into a building once a week and then we close all the doors, lock the gate, and have worship service, and then we go home, who can see? Nobody can see. My church is very nice. Oh, yeah, of course, lah. you go to the church all your life, of course you say it's nice, right? I don't know. Then realize, oh, your church member live, actually my neighbor, no? I'm doing that very nice. Why? I've never spoken to them ever. They've never said hi. You say they're very friendly. They live there 20 years, you know. Never said good morning. Visible. You can only be visible to your local community. Yeah? Like my blog, when they have funerals, they look for me. <laughs> Unfortunately. And also fortunately. I always go check which, which uncle auntie passed away and I just offer condolences. Don't matter it's Buddhist, Hindu, Christian. They're okay. Pastor, okay, can come, pray. It's okay. Humble. You know, reaching a local community is so difficult. You know why? Because you can't pretend. You can't fake it. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't put on a show and put on your Christian mask and be this nice, loving person. They know. They see you every single day. And whether you represent Jesus Christ or not, they know. In fact, I think the non-believers know more clearly than the believers. The believers kind of justify you know, rationalized. But the non-believers like, nah. As I said, my, my best friend, Ted, before he became a Christian, was very, very straight with his comments. James, that's not very Christian. <laughs> James, Christians don't do this kind of thing. Man. They know. You don't even have to study the Bible with them. They know. There's an expectation. So I said, it's not fair, bro. Not fair. I'm not God. Yeah? But I know nice people who are better than that. And he's, <laughs> If you've got so powerful, why isn't he transforming you? Okay. Mm. Every single day he lives with me, he knows. He knows. It's humbling. So as you close, to think about the local context God has put you in. The church has been dispersed for God's glory. All of us are in various towns for a purpose and a reason. Let us embrace that. And part of the facilitation, we're going to go into the Bunkeng, the Pongo, and the Klocki, just to facilitate. But you have been placed in your unique situation for a specific purpose. Embrace it. And that's the local context that I'm dreaming of. Invite the team up for the closing song.